The world is broken, with billions living in darkness, striving to find hope on their own. That's why we go to sprawling cities, impoverished villages, and war-torn countries. We go because God is worthy of all worship, and we are His missionary people sharing the only hope for this broken world, Jesus Christ. That is why we go. To declare His glory among the nations. Well, good morning, church. I'll tell you a story, a true story about a man named David. David's not his real name, by the way. I'll tell you why we call him David in just a moment. But David lives in South Asia. And he was actually, when he was born, he was named after a Hindu god that was given to him at birth. The practice is to give them the, the new baby a god and to name the baby after that god. David grew up with the name of that god. And David grew up in that pagan uh, land learning about all the little g gods and goddesses of the world. Especially those in his area of South Asia. David, when he grew up, became a traveling idol salesman. He traveled from place to place, carrying the gods, little g gods and goddesses to sell to people. You see, when you walk into a typical Hindu home in South Asia, one, on one wall you will see a row of beautiful framed pictures of gods and goddesses. And in addition to that, in the corner of the main room there will be an altar to the gods with again pictures and figurines of those little g-gods and goddesses. David spent his time traveling from village to village selling those figurines and pictures to the people. He was quite proud of his mobile business. I mean, who would not be proud if you grew up in that society? Who would not be proud that you have the privilege of selling the gods and the goddesses to people? So he was quite proud of his little business as he traveled from village to village. One day as he was traveling among the villages, he met a man, a Christian, who began to talk to him about Jesus. David wanted, wanted nothing to do with what this man was talking about. In fact, he said to him, and I quote, I have enough gods. I have my own gods and goddesses. I don't need an extra god. I got plenty of gods. They're right here on my cart. I don't need an extra god. Well, the Christian was undeterred, and he not only talked to David, but he went to David's home, and he talked to David's family. And that day in David's home, David's father and his mother and his wife profess faith in Jesus Christ, but not David. David didn't need an extra God. And David, for the next three years, wanted nothing to do with, these, with this God that called Jesus. Though his wife went to church, David never went. He refused to go, and he was resistant to that. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity for three years. But eventually, David decided to go with his wife. You know how it is, guys. You know how your wife eventually, you know, eventually you give in, right? Yeah. And so that's what David did. David eventually gave in. And he went to church with his wife. And he heard about the true God, whose name is Jesus. And that day, 
David gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Now, I told you that's not his real name, and I told you I'd tell you why he's called David. I can't pronounce the name that he went by, the, the Hindu God that he was known by. But the reason that he's called David was because in that area, once you become a Christian, it is very common, instead of going by the Hindu God's name that you were given at birth, and being known as that Hindu God, it's very common to adopt a name from the Bible if you're a Christian. That's why when you go to South Asia, you, you can meet Abraham and Noah and Moses, and Esther, and Sarah, and David. David, though, not only came to faith in Christ, the story gets better. Remember, talk to me now, what was David's vocation? A traveling, traveling idol salesman. David became aware that other people in these villages didn't know what he knew. They didn't have what he had. And, and David said, and I quote, he said, there are a lot of people perishing without Jesus. My people. So I need to share the gospel. So, once going from town to town selling Hindu gods, Hindu idols, David now goes from town to town, village to village, planting house churches that are dedicated to the one true God. He started four churches so far. One of the churches that he started is in his own hometown. He's baptized 60 people in his hometown who have claimed faith in Jesus Christ, forsaken all other gods for the one true God. Now, what you may not realize is that there are 2.8 billion, with a B, people in the world like David who have no access to the gospel unless someone brings it to them. 2.8 billion people like David who are lost. And yet we know how they can be found. 2.8 billion people who will be born, they will live their lives, and they will die without Christ because they never even knew He existed. But we can change that, can't we? We can change that because we know how to be saved. We can change that because we know who Jesus is. We can change that because we've experienced new life in Christ. So here's what I want you to understand today. I'm shooting for one thing. Though my sermon will have two basic points in the outline. There's one thing I want you to remember. There's one thing I hope you take home with you today. And it's this. The gospel can't change anyone until we take it to them. The gospel can't change anyone until we take it to them. Now, please don't misunderstand what I just said. I still believe in the power of the gospel to change everyone. I still believe Romans 1.16 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And aren't you thankful for that? It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. I still believe that. But listen, they have to hear it and understand it before that can happen. People who don't know the gospel need someone who does. There's a chapter in the Bible that shows what we're talking about here. A chapter in the Bible that shows what can happen when one person takes the gospel to those who need it. 
Today we're starting a brand new series. It's going to be through the month of November. A four-week series simply called Him. Kind of a short title, isn't it? Him. We're going to work our way through Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to learn how we can live our lives for something greater than ourselves. We're going to learn how we can live our lives for Him. And what that looks like. Colossians chapter 1 Go ahead and turn there. I want to show you where I got the series title at. Or where I got it from. In Colossians chapter 1, read with me a few verses. And you'll see, I believe, why we're calling this series, Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please, what's that next word? Him, please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Look in verse 16. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him, verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Verse 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And finally, in verse 28, We proclaim Him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now it's not just in Colossians that you see the word Him over and over. It's in Ephesians and in other letters. But it is quite amazing how often Paul points beyond ourselves to Him. How Paul is encouraging us to live for something greater than ourselves. But what is really intriguing for me is the first eight verses of chapter 1 because before we start talking about uh, all those other aspects of Him in the first eight verses of this chapter, Paul shows us how one person can make a difference if they are focused on Him. And so I want to read our text today, which is actually chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And follow along as I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. If you have your pen handy, I would encourage you to mark something. I'm going to encourage you to do that a few times today. But I would encourage you to mark this phrase, in Christ at Colossae. In Christ, that's their spiritual relationship, at Colossae is their physical address. They are in Christ at Colossae. We'll come back to that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because, here's the reason, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now that that is an important phrase as well. We have heard of your faith implies that Paul did not know these people personally. Paul did not start this church in Colossae. Paul was not the church planter. Someone else was. And we'll find out who that someone else was in just a moment. So Paul says, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of the saints 
the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. What I want to do for the next few minutes is this. I want to talk to you about why we must do what we've just read in this text. And you don't understand what that is yet, but basically I want to explain to you today why we must go. Why do we go? Why are we a missions-minded church? Why do we go to places like Cleveland? Why do we go to places like Utah? Why do we go to places like Costa Rica? Why is it that we go to places around the world? And why is it that we also need to go not only to the nations, but to our neighbors? Why do we need to go to these people? Colossians chapter 1 gives us a great framework to help us understand why you, not just me, why you need to go. To those who do not know the Lord Jesus. So let's work our way through this text. First of all, we go to take the gospel where it is needed. We go to take the gospel where it is needed. In verse 2, there was something in verse 2 when I read this that I I almost went right by it and didn't notice it. In verse 2, Paul talks about the, the audience to whom he is writing. And the audience to whom he is writing, he describes it this way. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It occurred to me as I was studying through this text. They were not always that way. You say, what what do you mean? They were not always holy. They were not always faithful. They were not always brothers in Christ. That started somewhere. That started one day, but they were not always that way. They were not always the holy people. They were not always the faithful people. They were not always brothers in Christ. No, there had to be a beginning point. There had to be a starting point. And Paul describes that in verse 6. Let's start at the middle of verse 5 actually. That you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, and underline this, that has come to you. The gospel that has come to you. That's the reason they are now holy and faithful and brothers in Christ. The gospel, he said, has come to you. That's the reason your life is different. That's the reason there's a church in Colossae. That's the reason you have hope now. That's the reason you're going to heaven now. That's the reason you've experienced grace and forgiveness. The gospel has come to you. And so when I read that, my first question was, how did the gospel come to them? Well, if I just read verse 7, I would have gotten my answer. He says in verse 7, You learned it. You learned the gospel. You learned it from Epaphras. How did the gospel get to Colossae? Paul says, here's the way the gospel got there. You learned it from Epaphras. You see, the gospel was not known there until it was brought there by Epaphras. And so then I asked the question, well, who is Epaphras? Chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that he was one of them. He was, he, he was one of those who lived in Colossae. He was one of them. He grew up. That was his hometown. 
somewhere along the way, Epaphras traveled to Ephesus. And while in Ephesus, that's where Paul was. Paul was planting a church there. While in Ephesus, he met Paul. He heard the gospel. He was saved. And then he did what David did in the story I told you at the beginning of the message. He recognized that his own people didn't have the gospel. And so Epaphras left Ephesus. And watch this. Everybody look here. He, he left Ephesus and he carried the gospel to Colossae. He carried the gospel back home. He carried the gospel to his family. He carried the gospel to the people he knew in Colossae. And he took it back to them. And when he took it back there, guess what happened? Eventually, this person received Christ, and another received Christ, and another received Christ, until a church was born. And that's why Paul could describe them in verse 2 as the holy and faithful brothers or brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, follow me now, the people in Colossae could point to a person who made an eternal difference in their life. They could point to Epaphras and say, that was the guy who helped me come to faith in Christ. Now, I've got to ask you a very important question. Can anybody point to you that way? Can anybody point to you and say, that was the guy? That was the lady who introduced me to Jesus Christ. See, you have access to the gospel. But are you sharing that access with anyone else? 2.8 billion people in the world who have no access to the gospel, they don't even know the name of Jesus, much less what He did on the cross. 2.8 billion people who don't have the access we have, they need somebody to carry the gospel to them. They need somebody because the gospel can't change their life until they hear it. That's why on Wednesday nights, for the next two Wednesday nights, we're trying to practice this Scripture locally as well as you know, we like to go out to places like Indonesia and, and places like uh, Costa Rica. We like to take the gospel to the nations, but there's also times when we need to make sure we take the gospel to our neighbors. And, and so that's why this Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night, we're going to go out with boxes of food and, and take the food to 40 needy families. Because we not only want to carry food to them, we want to carry the gospel to them. We want to make sure that they have an opportunity to know what we know and to hear what, what Christ has done for us. So we go, for the first reason, we go to take the gospel to those who need it. Let me tell you the second reason we go. We go so that others can hear and understand God's grace. We go so that they can hear and understand God's grace. I love verse 6. There's so much in verse 6. He says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Can I tell you, when I first started preparing for this message, really, uh, though I, I didn't write things down, uh, God began to work this message in my heart in Costa Rica a few weeks ago. I was sitting on a balcony at our hotel overlooking the village of Cartago. And as I was sitting on the balcony reading that morning, I read this text and it just came alive. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. 
I thought, that's true. I've seen the gospel bear fruit all over the world, just like it, it was doing there in Costa Rica. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all of its truth. Now, I want you to get your pencil or pen handy. If you don't have a pencil or pen, then, then makeup or mascara or lipstick or something. Because you need to mark this. This is important. Here's, here's what I want you to mark. And when I first tell you, you're going to say, why do I need to mark that? But go ahead and trust me. I, I want you to mark two words. The day. The day. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day. You see, there was the day when Epaphras came from Ephesus into Colossae, taking the gospel to them. There was the day when the gospel was brought to them. There was the day that they heard the gospel for the first time. There was the day that they understood the gospel. They understood God's grace. That's what he's talking about when he says the day. That day when they heard and understood God's grace. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want you to hear. Everyone deserves to have a day like that. Everybody deserves to have a day like that. In fact, you probably know somebody who needs a day like that. You know somebody and their life is messed up with drugs and alcohol. They need a day when they hear the gospel and are able to understand God's grace. You know somebody whose marriage is falling apart and, and, and they're just trying as best as they can to fix this broken marriage, but their lives are broken too. And what they really need is the day. They need a day where they hear God's Word and they understand God's grace. You probably know some people who don't feel worthy of, of love at all. They've been abused and, and, and cast aside by society and maybe by their family. They need to know. They need a day where they hear about God's love and they understand God's grace. Aren't you thankful there was the day in your life? In fact, I want to ask you a personal question. Can you point to the day when you heard the gospel and understood God's grace. Now, I'm not asking you, can you point to it on the calendar? I'm not asking you, can you give me the date? I'm asking you, can you point to the day? For me, it's when I was 11 years old. And I can point to the day when I heard the gospel and understood God's grace. You know why we go? We go as a church and we go as individuals so that others can have a day like that. A day like you had. We go because if we don't, it will be another day that they spend without Christ on the edge of hell. We go because we have the truth this world desperately needs. We go because they can have a day in their life that changes all the other days. But the gospel doesn't work unless they hear it. Imagine what it would be like. Let's, let's try to imagine. Imagine what it would be like to hear the gospel and understand God's grace for the first time. 
It's almost hard for us to do that, isn't it? Because we've grown up around the gospel. We've grown up around grace. We, we, we understand. We, we go to church all the time. But imagine what it would be like to hear the gospel for the first time and understand God's grace. You know, by the way, do you know what the word gospel means? It means good news. See, our God is ascending God. Our God sent His Son. Our God sent the Holy Spirit. And our God sends us with good news. And when we dare do what Epaphras did, and we take the gospel where it's needed, and we go to help them hear and understand God's grace. Then those people have the opportunity to say, there was the day. There was the day when I heard about forgiveness. There was the day when I heard about love. There was the day when I heard about the cross and I understood it. And my life has never been the same since then. Everybody deserves to have that kind of day. But the gospel can't change anyone until we take it to them. Let that sink in. The gospel can't change anyone until we take it to them. 2.8 billion people who don't even know that there is good news. 2.8 billion people who desperately need somebody to bring the Gospel to them. And by the way, Those 2.8 billion people, they do live in places like Nepal and Afghanistan and Kenya and and, and all those hard to reach places. And we as a church need to go there. But they also live in places like Cleveland. They need somebody to bring the gospel to them. They live in places like Boston. We're exploring the possibility of planting a church in Boston because we're starting to see they desperately need somebody to bring the gospel to them. They, They need the gospel in places like Powdersville. Because there's people that you know who desperately need somebody to bring the gospel to them. They need somebody to help them understand God's grace. So here's my challenge today. My challenge for you is simply this. In order to live out this scripture, would you dare to try to take the gospel somewhere this month? Just somewhere this month, during the month of November, you say, well, what does that mean to take the gospel somewhere? Uh, let God show you what that means for you. It might mean that you need to sit down with your daughter or your son and take the gospel there. You might need to take the gospel to your home. It might mean that, that you are taking the gospel with us on Wednesday nights as you take the food to somebody. It might mean that you're signing up for a mission trip and you're going to take the gospel somewhere around the world. It might mean that you're 
taking a gospel tract and, and you're giving it to somebody or a Billy Graham video and you're giving it to somebody. It, who knows what it means? Just let God show you what that means. But in the month of November, just try to focus on, I want to live for something greater than me. I want to live for Him. And I'm going to take the gospel somewhere this month. I'm going to take the gospel somewhere. Epaphras. Epaphras was not an apostle. Epaphras was not seminary trained. Epaphras was not even a pastor to begin with. But once he heard and understood God's grace, the Bible says he took it to the people of Colossae. And it was there that God birthed the church. You never know what God can do to an individual who's willing to take the gospel where it's needed. You never know what God can do to an individual who's willing to go and share so that people can hear and understand God's grace. You just never know what God can do to change people's lives if you allow Him to use you. Would you pray with me about that? Before we have the invitation, I've just got to say to you that, dear friend, if you're here today and you, you've never really heard and understood the gospel, but perhaps today, through the Holy Spirit, you began to understand. The light has gone on in your head that it's not by how good you are, but it's Christ's death on the cross and your faith in His death for you. If the light has gone on for you and you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior, this could be your day. This can be the day that you point to and say, that was the day that I heard and understood God's grace. That was the day that I became a follower of Jesus Christ. This could be your day. And I would ask you today, as soon as we stand up, you just come on and, and uh, declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Others of you, perhaps, you need to come and get on the altar and say, Lord God, I understand, perhaps better than I've ever understood before, that the gospel can't change anyone until we take it to them. Use me this month to take the gospel somewhere. And show me what that means. Show me how to do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm grateful that You are the God who sends us with good news. Forgive us, Lord, when we have access to it and we don't share that access with anyone. Begin to change our hearts and our minds so that we will live for Him and tell others about Him. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.